Reading from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 10, headed up in the Bibles as Paul's final charge uh, to Timothy. We're going through to chapter 4, verse 5. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Thanks, Peter. It really is a great privilege to be with you all uh, this morning and tomorrow, um, I've been very excited about coming down. This is our first trip to Adelaide. I hope not um, the last because uh, it's been really great, even if it's a little colder. I didn't bring any jumper. I had to borrow Mike's coat this morning, which um, just uh, following on from that, and if you look at the very end of um, 2 Timothy, that's what Paul asks as well, that... Um, Timothy will bring his coat. I feel like uh, I could have said that, <laughs> preached on that this morning. Um, it is a great privilege. As Mike said, 500 years since the Reformation. What does that even mean? Well, this Tuesday just gone, 31st of October, marks 500 years since a, a German monk in the northeast of Germany um, nailed 95 propositions, theses, um, to a church door in a, in a small town um, called Wittenberg. Um, there would have only been two or 3,000 people living there. Um, and, you know, it was quite an unremarkable thing in one respect. But from that uh, event, um, ripples went out across the world, which shook uh, the foundation of the way that the church operated, as well as the way that society was ordered. Um, and we can kind of talk more about those things um, in, in question time and so on. Uh, so it's, it's good that we can uh, come together and, and think about what it was actually that um, w- rippled out, what, were, what was the theological um, touchstones that were rediscovered, as Mike was saying. And we're going 
We've got three talks uh, on on this weekend. This one's about uh, how we can know God. Uh, where, where's the authority in terms of our knowledge of God? Uh, the next one's going to be about uh, the sufficiency of God's work. What do what do we have to do? What what's God done what, compared to what we, do we have to do? Uh, we'll talk about faith this afternoon, as Mike said, and then tomorrow morning, um, how we receive the the benefit of God's work. Uh, and so the aim of these talks is to bring what was the, those principles from the 16th century to bear on our lives here in the 21st century uh, because they are still relevant. They're still the heart of the gospel. Now, those principles have been described as um, the, the solas. <laughs> um, uh, so sola scriptura, it's a Latin um, phrase meaning scripture alone. That's what we're talking about now. Um, Sola Christus, uh, Christ alone, that's what we're talking about next. Um, which is a little bit ironic because as we'll kind of see, uh, here, um, one of the principles that the, uh, reformers were capturing was actually that, uh, people needed to understand scripture in their own language. <laughs> and so, uh, that, that, that terminology has only been used in the last kind of hundred years and somebody's reinventing what the reformers said by using Latin, which was, they, they repudiated themselves. They would have liked us to use scripture alone rather than sola scriptura. Um, but uh, that's this idea, sola scriptura, it's called the, the formal cause, the formal principle of the Reformation. Because in understanding what the Bible is, that everything else kind of flowed from that as people understood uh, where the authority was over the church, uh, that scripture governs the church, scripture governs God's people, um, not church traditions. Uh, the Bible was the authority. At its heart, this uh, issue in the Reformation was a question of authority. What will be the final authority in determining what Christians believe and, and how they meet God? Uh, the papists said it was the church was the final authority. The Protestants said it was the Bible. Um, so before we kind of get into unpacking what was going on in this doctrine, uh, I want us to think for a second about what life was like if we were Trinity Grove 500 years ago. Okay, um, We would have had that reading in church when we came to church, but it would have sounded something like this, omnis scriptura, divinatus, inspirata, ut perfectus, sit, homo, dei, ad omni, opus, bonum, instructus, etc., etc., okay? And probably, I don't know what your Latin's like, but if it's anything like mine, it would have just gone straight over our heads. We wouldn't have understood anything. And in churches right across Europe, uh, that would have been what was heard as the Bible was read. They did read the Bible, but they read it in a language that nobody understood. And the, the people, even the often the priest at the front didn't understand Latin. He knew how to read it, but he didn't know what it meant. So how could he explain God's message to people? The, the church at that point was at a very low ebb, as Mike had said. Uh, the main focus had become uh, the mass, what we'd call communion. And uh, the church taught that the, the priest up the front consecrated uh, what was happening in the mass and it, it became the body and blood of Christ. And that was the most important thing for people's salvation was to participate um, in, in these sacraments. 
Your baptism would wash away original sin and then you'd see the mass as you went on and that would be like a little infusion of God's grace as you went on. And you actually didn't get to partake of the mass. Uh, that was just for the priest. You would get the bread and you'd get it once a year. The rest of the time, all you, all you got to do was see the minister do it up the front. And that was supposed to be uh, special for you. Um, and so I don't know if, if you've traveled to Europe, you might have visited uh, old cathedrals, medieval cathedrals, and they have these side chapels all the way around. And so the, the point of those was that there were priests whose job was just to say mass all day long, all day, every day. And people didn't couldn't understand because the service was all in Latin as well. Everything that was done in church was in a different language from the people. And so there were there were kind of signs that this special miracle was going to take place. And when that happened, they'd ring a bell and they'd light some candles. And so in a cathedral, there weren't any pews or anything like that. Um, people would go in and so that they could get their grace, they'd, they'd listen out for the bell and they'd run over to see the priest doing his thing at that moment. And then the bell would ring over the other side when another priest, they'd run a bit like a, a rugby team moving around the cathedral just to see this thing take place. Everything was done in Latin. In fact, to have a Bible in English, like the, what we just had read, was illegal. If you were found with it, you would be punished. And uh, it had been made illegal in the centuries before. Uh, and... About 500 years ago, there was a son of a farmer in England who had a, a great privilege. He was an ordinary guy, just like you or me, uh, but he had the great privilege of going off to university. And his name was William Tyndale. And uh, he was just uh, average height, <laughs> um, grew a beard. He was kind of a, a hipster university student from 500 years ago. Uh, but one of the benefits of going to university was that he got to learn Latin and learn what was being actually said when people uh, read the Bible and so on. And as he began to understand Latin, he began to understand the Bible. And as he understood the Bible, his life began to be transformed by it. For the very first time, he understood what God had done for him through Jesus Christ. And it was profoundly different from what he'd been taught in the church week after week. He'd been taught that he needed to try and try and try and just hope that he might be acceptable to God in the end. But God's word said that it wasn't about what he did. It was about what Christ had already done. He'd been taught that he needed the mediation of the church, especially to go to the mass, to gain access to God. But God's word said that he could relate to God personally. Uh, he'd been taught that the traditions of the church and the Pope uh, were as significant or, or more significant even than what the Bible said. But God's word said that it was completely sufficient, completely authoritative in all matters to do with salvation. And those discoveries meant that William Tyndale's life was turned upside down and he, he was transformed by understanding what the scriptures said. And so he set about to translate them so that other people in English, in England could uh, know the things that he'd known, uh, translate the Bible into English. Even though that was illegal, he thought that was the, the most important thing that he could do for his fellow countrymen. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever had a dinner party where the conversation got awkward. I hope that tonight's uh, dinner parties don't go this way. But one time William Tinder was at dinner uh, at uh, kind of a, uh, you know, a squire's house and there was the local priest uh, there who was, you know, fully representative of the medieval um, Christianity of the time. And the priest was uh, there, you know, espousing um, his thinking at the table. And he said that we're better off without God's laws than without the Pope's. In other words, we're better off to have the Pope than to have the Bible, right? Uh, and uh, William Tyndale shot back, well, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And if God will spare my life many years, I will cause the boy who drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do, Okay. It's an awkward dinner table conversation. <laughs> um, I don't know what the host did. You know, ooh, a bit chilly weather today, wasn't it? Unseasonable for November. Um, so uh, the question that I want us to really think about this morning is, what exactly was the difference between William Tyndale's understanding of the scriptures that would motivate him to translate them for the people, give them to the people, uh, as opposed to this prevailing view in the church that they were somewhat secondary to what they had in the Pope? And, and of course, more important than just kind of knowing what was going on back then, uh, what place should the Bible have in our lives, in our church? That's really the question that is going on here. Uh, and I want to, uh, you'll see on your outline, unpack it under three headings. The Bible's the authority for knowledge of salvation. The Bible is the authority over the church. And the Bible is the authority for interpreting the Bible. Uh, firstly, Bible is the authority for knowledge of salvation. So the late medieval church did not believe that it was the Bible alone, sola scriptura, that was the way to come to know God. Uh, and many people uh, thought that the way to being saved, including ha- having to do a whole lot of things that weren't in the Bible at all. Now they believed that the Bible and these other things, which they called church traditions, uh, together gave you knowledge of salvation. Uh, in fact, uh, officially at least, that's still the situation in contemporary uh, Roman Catholic churches today, Bible and tradition. And the argument behind this uh, goes that actually Jesus and his apostles, they taught many things and they did many things that weren't written down in the scripture, but these things were passed on and they were passed down through the generations. And because they come from Jesus and the apostles, um, they have just as much authority as the things that were written down. Uh, that's, that's the argument. But there's two problems with this understanding. One thing is that um, a lot of these things were innovations at some point, and a lot of the things in the medieval church had come in only in the few centuries before, and they were considered church traditions. Uh, there's another thing is what happens when what scripture says and what ch- church tradition says come into conflict. Uh, that's exactly what happened 500 years ago last Tuesday with Martin Luther and uh, his nailing of the 95 theses. Uh, the Bible said people are saved by trusting in Jesus. The church said people could be saved by paying a bit of money to buy a piece of paper, an indulgence. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, And so the Bible said one thing, the tradition said another, they were opposite to each other. Well, which one was right? Uh, The second problem with believing that both scripture and tradition are equally authoritative 
is that Scripture says that actually it is sufficient, it is complete in terms of giving us knowledge. We don't need anything else. Uh, so the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31, uh, John, who's writing, said, yes, there were lots of other things Jesus said and did. Uh, in fact, if they were written down, uh, there, there wouldn't be enough books in the world. I don't know if you remember that verse, to, to fill all the things that he did. But he says, these things are written down so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you may have life in his name. These things are written in order that we might know the way to the Father through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and our Bible reading that we had this morning from, from 2 Timothy, um, Paul says that from infancy, uh, Timothy had known the Holy Scriptures. And what? What for? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's the Bible that is able to make you wise for salvation. The Bible alone. Why? Verse 16 of that passage, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, there is a God and there is a God who speaks and he has spoken to you and me and he's spoken in the words of the Bible. And we can listen to God directly. Martin Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak, read Holy Scripture. That's where we hear God speak. Uh, the Bible is God's word to you and me. And it's completely sufficient and it's completely authoritative in giving us knowledge of salvation. Uh, that's the first aspect of scripture alone. It alone gives knowledge of salvation. And it's for this reason that the reformers were so keen that people understand the Bible. They have it in their own language. Um, Luther translated the Bible into German. Tyndale translated the Bible into English and so on and so on and so on because they wanted to give the people the word of God. The church had kept the Bible under lock and key, far away from people, keeping it in a language that people didn't understand and then mediating and diluting the message by adding in a whole lot of traditions. Uh, the reformers came to see that people meet God in his word. And so they set about giving God's word to the people. And so there's a proliferation of, of Bible translations. And, you know, this is still a Protestant priority um, as missionaries go out to different countries and uh, different people groups and different languages, translating the Bible, giving them actually the word of God in a language that they can understand is a priority. And I hope it's a priority for Trinity Grove to support that kind of work. It's very important. Uh, such a vital work for our financial and prayerful support. So that's that's the first aspect of Scripture alone. The Bible is the authority on salvation. Um, the second uh, point is the Bible is the authority over the church. Uh, so uh, although the medieval church claimed that the Bible and the tradition were equally authoritative, they both uh, you know weigh the same. Effectively, the 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 church placed itself and its officers, mainly the Pope, over those authorities. Um, the church got to determine which parts of the Bible and which traditions were more important and needed to be followed. So, for example, when we saw before that they came into conflict with the sale of indulgences and um, justification by faith, the church then would 
uh, determine that actually it's the tradition that's more important in this case. Uh, they claim that the church made the Bible, therefore it had the right to make new teaching. So they said, as, as the church, the apostles were part of the church and they wrote the Bible and the, so the church um, made the Bible in the first place and the authoritative office of the church can make this new tradition as well. Uh, an example of this is seen in the response to Martin Luther's uh, 95 Theses, Roman, the Roman Catholic uh, Sylvester Prierius, and he, he wrote this in response to them. He said, anyone who does not accept the doctrine of the Church of Rome and the Pope in Rome as an infallible rule of faith from which the Holy Scriptures too draw their strength and authority is a heretic. In other words, the Pope is infallible. The Scripture get their authority because the Pope says they're pretty good. Okay, And if you don't accept that, well, you're a heretic. Protestants, on the other hand, realise that the Bible is the very word of God. The Bible forms the church. It has authority over it rather than the other way around. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, in other words, the church didn't make the Bible. The Bible makes the church. Uh, and, and historically, what happened was the church recognized these writings as authoritative, as having apostolic authority and, and therefore being scripture. The church never authenticated the books of the Bible. God's word doesn't need people to give it a stamp of approval. All the church was able to do was hear God speak through the, the testimony of scripture and respond in trust. And therefore, any authority that the church has only extends as far as the church obeys and teaches and applies the teaching of the Bible. That's a truth today as it was back then. And this means for you and me that, that scripture has to be our highest authority. Now, we need to study the scriptures. We need to live according to them. And if the church starts teaching things that are contrary to scriptures and they demand that you and I believe them, uh, and or, or accept practices that are against what God says in his word, well, we're bound by scripture alone, not by the teaching of the church. Uh, that's the situation that Martin Luther found himself in. Uh, so he nailed his 95 theses and it caused, you know, a bit of a whirlwind and he was put on trial and uh, in front of the emperor and the, the pope and so on. And they said, take it all back. Take back what you've been teaching and very boldly he said, unless I'm convinced by the clear uh, teaching of scripture, I am bound by the scriptures that I've quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything. See, scripture is the highest authority. And, and the reformers, to their credit, they maintained this principle even when in, in certain places they rose to the top. Um, and they got to determine uh, how the church was ordered and so on. So uh, a lovely example of this is in the Scots Confession. I'll put this in for uh, Alex. Um, so John Knox and co in Scotland, they're determining how the church will be structured and uh, they, they have a confession of, of what they believe, but they give it this forward at the beginning and they say, if, if any person will note in our confession any article or sentence that is repugnant to God's holy word the Bible, uh, would, would it please him out of his gentleness and Christian love 
to admonish us of, of this thing in writing. And we, upon our honour and faithfulness, by God's grace, do promise to give him satisfaction from the mouth of God, that is, from the Holy Scriptures, or else to reform any part of this that shall prove to be amiss. <laughs> so, in other words, um, if you read in this anything that is not found in Scripture, tell us. We'll change it if, if we're wrong. That's how they were going to set up their churches, the Protestants, under the Word of God. The Bible was going to be the absolute authority. It stood above popes, stood above councils, uh, rather than them standing above it. And that's vitally important for us to remember uh, because there's still immense pressure on us as a church to sideline the teaching of the Bible, to relativize the teaching of the Bible, uh, to ignore certain bits of the Bible. Um, and, and people seek revelation from, from other places as well. Uh, and spiritual experience or a particular person uh, with authority. But all of those things, they're, they're subjective. They change like uh, sand on the beach. But in contrast to them, God has revealed himself to us objectively in the pages of scripture. He has spoken and because of this, we need to be people of the book, of the Bible. We ought to read it, cherish it, learn it, know it. It's through the Bible God speaks to us. And so I challenge you, are you really a Bible person? Um, I imagine all of us here probably say that we are, but uh, you might believe that God speaks through his word, but are you really a Bible person? Does your life correspond to what you believe about the Bible. Um, there's 10,080 minutes in a week. How much of that is spent dwelling on, reflecting on the Word of God? Um, because God speaks to us through the Bible. And uh, we need to read it for ourselves, read it with our families, memorize verses, keep it in our head, share it with our friends. That's the second aspect of scripture alone. Actually, um, just as an aside, this is one of the things that, um, you know, social consequence of the Reformation was that the reformers, knowing that the Bible was for the people, set about teaching the people how to read. So in the course of the 16th century, literacy levels went from kind of under 10% to more than 50% in Protestant countries because and so, you know, our, our world, we, we value education for all. In one sense, this is coming from the Protestant Reformation because it, people could have access to God's word themselves uh, if they could read it. And so great privilege that we have um, and we should use it. Now, the third, third point is uh, the Bible is the authority in interpreting the Bible. What do I mean by this? Well, one of the arguments in the medieval church against having the Bible in the people's own language was that they might think that they could understand it. <laughs> um, that would be terrible, they thought. <laughs> it would lead to chaos if they thought that they could understand the Bible. Uh, instead, they said only the church really can understand the Bible and interpret it properly. But the reformers were convinced that actually God's word is clear. The message is there for everyone and everybody can understand it. In, in that passage, 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, from infancy, Timothy had known the scriptures which made him wise for salvation. From being a very small child, someone can get what 
the, the message of scripture is about. You don't need high degrees. You don't need uh, the Pope to tell you how to understand it. All you need is the Bible uh, and the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. God didn't inspire certain people to hand down an infallible interpretation of the Bible. He gave an infallible Bible that's 100% true and consistent. And so, yes, there are more difficult passages in the Bible, uh, but we understand those in the light of ones that are clear. You see? And, and this is one of the great marvels of the Holy Scriptures is you can never plumb the depths of the Bible and yet you can understand, anyone can understand um, the most basic message if it's read with faith. Um, and so uh, while there may be some differences in, interpret, in interpretation around the edges uh, amongst Protestants, like, um, for example, about baptism or about bishops, really Protestants are united about the central teaching about salvation, uh, that it is through faith in Christ alone. All Protestants say that the Bible is just so clear that that's where we find salvation. And of course, we can help each other to understand the Bible. Uh, and, you know, some people do extra study so that um, they can uh, spend their time teaching the Bible to others, helping other people understand it. But that doesn't make them an infallible authority. You have to understand that because it's possible to intend a Protestant church and think like a Roman Catholic in this regard. Uh, if you feel you have to believe what's being said because the person up the front said it, well, then that's that's the old way of thinking. I hope you never leave church thinking that you have to believe something just because the minister said it. You should believe something because God said it. And the minister hopefully showed you where God said it in the Bible. Okay? Um, a great example of this is in Acts chapter 17. Paul's uh, going around preaching and he goes uh, from Thessalonica to preach in Berea. And we're told that the Jews there, they were, they were more noble than others that he'd met. And we read, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay, so they listened to the sermon with their Bibles opened, right? They, they were Protestant Jews. 1500 years before Protestants existed, <laughs> right? Now, they, they, they give us an example of, of a model of how to uh, hear a preaching ministry. We, we hear it examining the scriptures to see if what is said is true because the Bible is going to be our authority. Uh, Protestants are Bible people first uh, because the Bible alone is God's true and saving word to a lost world. So the, if the church has authority, the church does have authority, it has authority only as far as it believes and teaches the Bible, right? That's where the authority comes. Um, so sometimes on uh, medical TV shows uh, that you watch in the middle of the day <laughs> when you should be studying, uh, people very, uh, and of course it happens in real life, are put onto uh, life support machines, and these machines, um, they breathe for the people, they feed them and so on. Um, and uh, when I've seen this on TV shows, sometimes families are faced with a terrible decision about whether they have to um, turn off the machine or not. Well, I want to suggest that the Bible is a little bit like the life support machine for us, for God's people. Uh, in fact, it's an eternal life support machine uh, rather than a life support machine. It's God's life-giving word to us 
and it keeps us alive beyond death and into eternity. And yet so many people don't hook themselves up to the machine. Uh, I think most people here will have come to the conclusion that the Bible is God's word to us. Uh, You know that and you know that it it contains uh, everything necessary for life and salvation. But I want to I want to challenge us that if we believe it's our eternal life support machine, don't unplug yourself from it. Okay, that's the danger I think we face. Don't think you can go on without the machine on because it's a life support machine. Uh, don't think that you've got the gist of the Bible so you don't need it anymore. Uh, you cannot read too much scripture and what you read you cannot read too carefully and what you read carefully you cannot understand too well. And what you understand, you cannot live too well. There's always a need for Christians to depend on God's word, the Bible. It shows us not only the way that we can be saved, but how to live as God's saved people. And that's a lesson that sinful humanity will always need to know better. Uh, More than this, we must not compromise on what the Bible teaches. Again, we, we find encouragement from the reformers here. Uh, that, that testimony of Martin Luther in the face of the whole, uh, 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 the emperor and the structure of the church standing against him, he said, I will stand on holy scripture. There was a man who wouldn't compromise on the truth that he found in God's word. Um, William Tyndale, he knew that as well. Actually, uh, reading that passage from 2 Timothy, the beginning of chapter 3, it was talking about how uh, people will um, be false teachers, will persecute the true believers. Well, that's what William Tyndale faced. In an age when the Bible was kept far from the people, was shrouded in superstition and mystery, and the church was full of unbiblical teaching, he knew that the only hope for people was to hear from God themselves to hear God in a language they could understand. And this meant that for William Temple, the task of translating the Bible put him in constant danger. He had to flee from England. He never went home again. He lived his life on the run. And finally, in 1526, after all his work translating, the first print run of the New Testament in English got sent back to England from where he was in the Netherlands. And um, the boatload came in and the Bishop of London, Cuthbert Tunstall, he heard about it and he decided that he would buy the whole boatload and inst- so that it wouldn't go out to the people. And he bought the whole boatload and he burnt it. In, in Imagine that. The, the leaders of the church were happier to see the Bible burnt than people understand it. That was the situation that they were in. Well, William Tyndale got the money from this purchase and made a better translation, much bigger, sent it back. <laughs> and over the next kind of uh, few years, the word of God went out uh, across England, even though it was illegal. Um, and finally, in uh, 1535, 10 years after that first print run, um, Tyndale was betrayed by someone he thought was his friend, captured. He was put in prison and he was... Uh, ultimately executed and he he apparently prayed uh, when he was being executed lord open the eyes of the king of england henry the eighth um and just two years after he died the king of england did authorize the bible in english in every church in england (laughs) so 
his prayer was answered. He didn't get to see it, but and it had a huge impact, a huge impact. Um, the, the way that the Reformation in England took place was it became a Bible-reading church, the Bible in the language of the people. And by the end of the century, the average English person identified with the Protestant beliefs that were there. And Tyndale's translation has had a massive influence on every other English translation. There's something like 800 versions in English now. <laughs> um, we can go to the Christian bookshop and kind of parouse the, you know, the options of which Bible version we'd like to have. Um, and, uh, you know, we've just got so many options. Uh, when, when Thomas Cranmer was putting together his, his uh, liturgy for the Church of England, he ensured that the, the people in church uh, well, his plan was that they would read the Old Testament once every year, the New Testament twice every year, and the Psalms every month. It was a Bible reading program, was what you did at church. Uh, because he believed that through hearing the scriptures, people would meet with God. Uh, and Thomas Cranmer, like William Tyndale, was ultimately executed for his convictions. Um, now, I don't know about you, I'm a church history guy, but I look forward to meeting these heroes of the faith in glory. I look forward to, um, you know, saying hello, <laughs> saying thank you, um, and and so on. Um, we've got easy access, 800 versions of the Bible, uh, really, because of the work that they've done. But sometimes I wonder, if I'm meeting William Tyndale, what he would say to me. Now, you remember the dinner party conversation. He wasn't afraid of kind of an awkward conversation. <laughs> And I fear that he would be within his right to say to me, your whole life you had the Bible in English, a privilege that cost me my life. Why didn't you read it more? Why didn't you cherish it more? Why didn't you share it with people more than you did? I wonder if he could say that to you. It's a big challenge for me to read about these uh, reformers, what they stood for and how far they went in terms of holding their convictions And I pray that God will help us not only to believe that it's scripture alone where we meet God, but to actually go and meet him there in our lives and to bring others to meet him there too. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for uh, those people 500 years ago who rediscovered that your word spoke powerfully and worked powerfully. And Father, we pray that you might help us to uh, share their convictions about your word. Uh, Father, we pray that we will cherish it in our own lives, in our church life. And Father, we pray that as we meet you in your word, that we might bring others to meet you there also. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.